Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Uh, Good morning, my name is Ian. Um, I'm a part of the team here at Church at the Well. You may not have seen me a little bit, and so you're like, is Ian graying? Or is he just really into the new Barbie movie, and he's like, okay, doing his best Ken impersonation. No, I had, I had dyed my hair blue for the Women's World Cup, and now blue is slowly um, trying to get rid of it and go, there's blonde underneath the blue. So um, here I am. But definitely not young enough to be a part of the young adults group. So not graying yet, though. Hallelujah. Okay. Well, we're in a new series right now called Tables, Journeying with Jesus Through Luke's Gospel. It's a 10-week sermon series, where we planned for it to be 10 weeks, but Adam's kind of a rebel. I think I get a reputation for being the rebel here at Church of the Wall, but I think Adam's the real rebel here, because he's like, you know what, we planned for 10, but I'm going to start it early, and we're going to do it for 11 weeks. So we're technically in our third week. He's adding extra weeks on the Advent wild stuff here. And uh, I, I would really just encourage you, though, uh, last week, Jordan gave an amazing sermon, so if you can go back to listen to Adams, listen to Jordan's, they kind of got us started in this series, so you can listen to their sermons where? On the podcast? Yeah, Church Center? I don't know. You, don't think you can find it on Church Center for sure. You can find our podcast through Church Center, but um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can listen to those and get caught up on it. But what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be looking at tables set throughout the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus is present. So these are meals that Jesus shared with others throughout the Gospel of Luke, and we'll be going in order, unless at some point Adam decides he wants to not go in order. But we will be going in order. Um, And so what we're noticing as we look at these tables where Jesus is present is that the table, these tables where Jesus is present, they become places of transformation for people the people who were there in the room with Jesus. And as readers, then, of Luke's gospel, we are invited to experience the tables of transformation where Jesus is present. How many of you have heard it said, or have said it, that meal changed my life? Anyone? Yeah, and, and I'm sure that there's, there's times where a specific meal comes to mind, and, and maybe it's the food, That comes to mind, I remember having this meal in New York City. It was like kind of right after things were opening up uh, during kind of like after-ish the pandemic as things were opening. And I was like, I can't tell if this meal is so incredible or if I just missed being in restaurants so much. But I just had this amazing meal. And so I remember the food at that particular table. But I would bet if we dug a little bit deeper, if we think about those meals, when we think about those meals where we say, man, that meal changed my life, it's often the company and the conversations that come to mind, right? Um, A a couple years ago in Bogota, uh, one of the things I do for work other than my work here at Church of the Walls, I, I, I work in coffee. And one of the things I get to do is I get to travel to coffee producing countries and visit with farmers and and traders etc and i ended up having this meal in bogota colombia at this restaurant called mesa franca you have to go to mesa franca if you're ever in bogota the food was incredible but there was about 10 of us 
coffee nerds sitting around this table at Mesa Franca, and there was this gentleman seated right next to me. His name was Jeff. And Jeff worked for a coffee company previously named uh, Intelligentsia. How many of you have heard of Intelligentsia? Um, and he had, he had worked for this company for over 20 years. And for me, this was someone who was like a hero. Like, this was someone who kind of like founded the specialty coffee movement that I have found myself a part of and kind of nerding over. And I found myself next to Jeff, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. And as the conversation went on throughout the dinner, I found myself in a, in a really meaningful conversation with Jeff where he was talking about his passion and care for the producers he worked with and how everything he's done in his life is connected to elevating and raising the life um, of, of coffee farmers. Um, and it was really kind of a compelling meal. How many of you have been in a meal where there's like 10, 12 people and you find yourself in a little side conversation and you're like tearing up, but it's like kind of this jovial thing, right? Those are the, those are the moments I think that we remember when we think of tables being places of transformation. That meal changed my life, but it's actually the company and the conversations, right, that are often where the transformation takes place. So we're going to continue on in Luke, and we're going to be turning to chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, you can find Luke chapter 7, or we have it here on the screen, and we're going to be reading from verse 36 to verse 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, which would have been very expensive. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, thinking, right? If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. How dare Jesus allow this woman to do, to do this? He must not be a prophet, right? Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. That would be kind of freaky, right? You're thinking something and then someone calls you out for it. They're like, I know what you're thinking. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He said, and he tell, Jesus tells this parable. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? So Jesus asked this question. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, as would have been customary, right? You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? 
Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so in the beginning of the story, we encounter three characters, right? We encounter Jesus, there's a woman and a Pharisee, and we learn some things about each of these characters. Last week, Jordan mentioned how we get to know people at the table, that one of the things that happens at the table is we get to know who people are. And as the story unfolds, um, we learn a little bit more, right? So at first we learn that this woman, she's referred to as a sinful woman. And the man we learn is a Pharisee. So these are these two characters. And so, um, and at the very beginning of the story, we, we later learn he's, his name is Simon, but at first he's just kind of unnamed. But as it unfolds, we get a more nuanced picture of these characters. At first, we get a very binary painting of these two characters, right? Sinful woman, Pharisee, right? So very, like, just caricatures of who they are, very kind of basic. She's a sinner, he's a Pharisee, but as things go on, we learn more about them. We learn that the woman is not only a sinful woman, but we learn a little bit more, apparently so much so that she has a reputation in the city. The inference being here, the cultural kind of inference being that she was likely a prostitute. doesn't name that specifically, but it's kind of the inference of the text there. And the Pharisee, the Pharisee is a, a member of a group who, if you read the, the Gospel of Luke altogether, he's a member of a group of people who are often and most times at odds with and opposed to Jesus. They're not Jesus' biggest fans. But as the story goes on, we also see that there's at least some level of openness on this Pharisee who is often a, a, the caricature of a Pharisee is someone who's at odds with Jesus, but he's someone who has invited Jesus into his home. He calls him teacher. He uses respectful language. Um, and, and we learn that he has at least considered the possibility that Jesus is a prophet. Um, when, when Luke first mentions Pharisee in the story, the reader would have immediately jumped to the caricature that we've read about thus far in Luke, which is um, at odds, opposed to the person of Jesus. But more importantly than any of the details we're given about who these characters are, kind of these like nuanced picture of who these characters are, the story shows us how Jesus thinks of this woman. And the story shows us how Jesus thinks of the Pharisee. When you read your Bible and you get to sections where there are like clear breaks from one story to another, the editors of particular translations, they often choose like a headline for that section. And it's like, it's like verses, like verse numbers. There's not numbers in the original language of Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic, right? Those are kind of put there as a, as a way of helping the reader find a particular story, right? So it's to kind of be a guide, right? And so if you turn to Luke chapter 7 in the NIV or the NLT and some other translations as well, we have a picture for this. You might see a header like this, which is Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. So this is the, the headline that this story is given. Now this isn't in the original text. It's just the headline to help the reader find this story. And I don't really have in any issue with this header 
But I'd like to suggest an alternate title for this story, and we'll get there in a moment, because this woman, while she's initially identified as a sinful woman, as we read the story, we learn that this isn't how Jesus sees this woman. It's how the Pharisees saw this woman, and likely how many in the city would have seen this woman, but this is not how Jesus saw this woman. The Pharisees actually appalled that Jesus would allow this woman to touch him. And, and the kind of the benefit, he gives Jesus a little bit of the benefit of the, of the doubt. He's like, man, there's no way Jesus is a prophet because he, he just must not know how terrible this woman is. But let's look again at how Jesus responds. Verse 41, if we can skip back to that briefly, I'm going to put us to work. Verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Next slide. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus doesn't identify this woman as a sinful woman. This doesn't mean he doesn't see her as someone who has sinned, someone who has had made mistakes, someone who is broken, but it's not how he chooses to identify her. And this is important. This is an important note. How does Jesus see this woman? According to the text, he sees her as forgiven. And even more so, as we continue reading, this is how Jesus sees her. He sees her as someone who loves extravagantly, which is why I would change the header in this section to the woman who loves extravagantly. You can deface that header if you want in your Bible because it's not a part of the original text. You have my permission to write in your Bible. You don't have to either. I'm okay with that as well. Because that is how Jesus chooses to identify this woman, as forgiven and one who is now overflowing with an extravagant love. Now, what does this mean for the reader, of which we would be included? First, it's incredibly comforting to know that when we come to the table with Jesus, where Jesus is present, that often how Jesus sees us and we can be assured of this, is vastly different than the way others see us. And oftentimes can be vastly different than the way that we see ourselves. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah for that. In the, in the commentaries I've read um, on this passage, most of the scholars believe that this actually isn't the woman's first encounter with Jesus based on her response to him. She had some understanding and had likely had an encounter with him previously to this. She has come to know and believe what Jesus thinks of her at some way along the line, and that has changed her, transformed her. It explains her lavish 
gesture, right? It's, it's out there. It's extravagant in her response to Jesus. So in light of Jesus, how Jesus sees her, she then is being changed and transformed. Her identity wasn't shaped by her social status or how others had thought of her or even her past behavior or perhaps the narratives that she had for herself. She was being changed and transformed by how Jesus thought of her. What a beautiful thing. Question. I don't have a slide for this, but you could actually, I think, write this question down, and it might be a helpful question to sit with for a bit. How would our lives look differently if we were to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us? How would our lives look differently if we were to see ourselves the way Jesus sees us? This is the question we are asked, I think, as we read this story at the proverbial table, right? Are we saying about this, right? We were declaring, I am who you say I am, as we make that sort of declaration. Um, how would our lives look differently? Now, before we conclude, let's turn our attention back to the Pharisee in the story for a brief moment, because if this story shows us that Jesus sees who this woman truly is, as one who is forgiven and who, is, who loves extravagantly, the story also shows us that Jesus sees who the Pharisee can become because he's also dining at the table with the Pharisee. When Jesus responds to the Pharisees, his silent thoughts, he turns to him and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Jesus knows his thoughts. He calls him by name. He knows the Pharisee's prejudices. He knows his doubts. He knows his cynicism. But the way that Jesus responds is actually with like a compassionate and patient leading. He's inviting Simon into a better story. Jordan talked about this last week. This is something that Jesus does at the table. He's inviting Simon into a better story. Now, a better story is not always an easier story. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? There's something um, that the woman has in this story, right? She's come to know something. There's something she has that is still unwritten in the life of Simon. And I think the story's kind of left open-ended, like it kind of ends with Jesus saying to the woman, go in peace, your sins have forgiven, have been forgiven. But what about Simon? And I think there's something unwritten in the story of Simon's life because she has something that he doesn't. And what is that? It's not anything magic, right? It's not that she is better than the Pharisee, right? She has a few things. She has humility, right? She's recognized her own brokenness, repentance, right? Turning to Jesus. And the, the text speaks of this. She has faith as well. She has belief in who Jesus is and the story that he has given her. You are forgiven. Go in peace. So if we use the language from Jesus's parable, perhaps this is because um, we're, we find Simon in the story. Simon thought of his debts as too little to be of real concern. There's not like a humility there, right? Or not that big of a deal. We're not told much about Simon's life 
But I can tell you, it's a person. He had shortcomings. He had blind spots. We see some of his blind spots at work here in the parable when he's speaking of this woman um, and her reputation in the city. He refused to see this woman for anything other than her reputation, right? To Simon, this woman was impure and unwelcome at the table. There's no concern for her personhood. Um, As I was reading through some commentaries, Simon doesn't have any concern for any number of societal circumstances that could have led her to the life she was living. Uh, Some examples of what may have led a woman into prostitution in in the ancient Near East in the first century would have been any number of issues, but she could have been a freed woman who was forced into the marketplace due to her lack of attachment or identification to a man, and she, so she's found herself in prostitution in order to live according to one of the very few options available to her, but there's no compassion on Simon's part, right? She could have been sold as a woman or, or a girl into prostitution by her parents on account of economic misfortune, but there's no concern or compassion on Simon's part. What's the invitation of Jesus to Simon? I think the invitation is this. It's to take a long, hard look in the mirror. And that can be an incredibly painful task to face our own brokenness, sin, prejudices, or any of the number of ways we have fallen short. It takes a humility, right? Humility is humbling, right, before God. Um, When I became a dad to a daughter. I have two daughters. But when I first became a dad, I noticed that I had all sorts of male prejudices. Uh, and this is a little sil- a silly prejudice, but I think we all have perhaps bigger ones that we could name. But this is a silly one. Whenever I saw like a stuffed animal or like an, a dog or a cat, I'd always call it a him or a he. And my daughters, I had noticed, always call it a her because they saw the world through a different lens, and I could only see the world through my particular biases, prejudices, right? And so I had to learn what those were and to be, begin to slow my, learn to slow myself, to be more thoughtful and careful and um, considerate about the world that I was living in with daughters whom... I wanted to grow up in in a world where there was less prejudices and less biases, right? Um, I have a picture. Uh, This is my daughter, Anaya. And if you're wondering why my hair is this color, it's because I dyed it blue. I mentioned that already for the Women's World Cup. And we got to go to the final. And really, I'm working this story in just because I wanted to show you this picture because I think it was pretty cool. This is my daughter, Anaya, with Olga Carmona who was on the winning squad, uh, squad for Spain. And sh- if you watched the game, you saw that she scored the goal. So it was a 1-0 game. And uh, she hopped into her section after the game. And Anaya was brave and went up to her and asked for a picture. And she got this picture with, isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Um, and why this was a meaningful experience to me, uh, a f- couple years ago, how many of you have been to a Vermont Green game or know Vermont Green? Our local semi-professional fourth division, Zia's raising her hand. Really big. Okay, actually, maybe Zia can help me tell this story. 
I remember the first time I took Zia to a Vermont Green game, she stood up on the stands, and while the crowd was saying, let's go green, let's go green, Zia was chanting, do you remember? Where's the girls? Where's the girls, right? And so it was an amazing experience bringing my daughters to this, but it was also an opportunity to um, take us a, a, a time as a family to celebrate representation in sport, right? Where's the girls? Well, there were the girls, and uh, they got to see that, so that was pretty cool. Um, and they got to see their dad get really hyped and look up to uh, kind of women as heroes in my life and dye my hair blue because I'm crazy. Um, Oftentimes, the prejudices, biases, brokenness in our own lives, when we face it, it's not, it's usually a little bit more painful than I'm calling, I'm misgendering my daughter's stuffy, right? <laughs> when the mirror that Jesus holds up to Simon, it's a painful one. It's also one of compassion and grace. Can we get verse 47? Through 50 back on the screen. Jesus says this, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. But then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table, it's always the men at the table, said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, I like how he kind of like just ignores them here. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Likely in fury, like making them angrier, right? In some ways, the woman, Jesus turns to her, but then he says to Simon, in many ways, the woman is the mirror that Jesus holds up for Simon to gaze upon. In it, he sees a woman, one who has a broken life, and yes, has certainly made some bad decisions, but also one who has found herself full of faith and is forgiven. Here's the thing. It's likely the woman already knew she was forgiven. That's why we see her response, right? But Jesus says it aloud to her. Why? So she's reaffirmed, yes, that's one reason, but for Simon to hear. Not just for Simon to see her as forgiven. I, I think this is important, right, as well as a church and individuals. He wants Simon not only to see that she is forgiven and has been forgiven for her sins, but for Simon to see his need for forgiveness. Here's the good news. It's ready and available. Jesus wants him to see that as well so that he too can find himself caught up in a story of extravagant love. And so that becomes the invitation then, right? It's not that we would in some way become a church where sinners are welcomed and we see them as forgiven and as those whom Jesus loved and as those who love extravagantly. It is to be a church full of sinners who have found ourselves forgiven. A church that loves extravagantly is the invitation. And so we're going to have a, a, an opportunity in a moment here um, to come to the table and to take a step in that direction. Let's pray. I'm going to invite Adam and the band up as well as we do. God, we thank you for this story. We thank you that 
when we see Jesus at the table, it's a story where we're invited to be transformed. Not only do we see that in the lives of the characters in these stories, but we find ourselves swept up, caught up, compelled by a man who sees a woman who many would deem sinful, and you see her as forgiven, and one who has found herself in a place where she is able to love extravagantly, God, because she has been forgiven. So I pray that you would give us the courage to find uh, and, and uh, whole, the Holy Spirit that you would lead us into humility, repentance, and faith, God, as we find ourselves forgiven and loved by you. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church of the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church of the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.